Well, Corey, it's great to be with you here again. And here we, um, again. we got a pretty amazing um, story to tell, actually, for those that are listening in. And this really relates to your wheelhouse, which is sharing the gospel and doing it effectively, especially in the culture that we live in today. Yep. And how you're actually going to be involved in producing an Answers in Genesis product, a small group Bible study curriculum based on the uh, evangelism curriculum that you have developed. And so I thought it'd be great to get together and just talk about that, how this came to be, because we've known each other for a long, a long, long time. time. Yeah. 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 I guess since ever since you were 10, I don't know how old I would have been. Yeah. 18 or something like that. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> 10 years old. Yeah. And, uh, and so, but then we both got saved mm-hmm. and we both started working in ministry and you actually went and, and studied to become a pastor and, uh, and did that. You're a officially accredited, yeah. uh, reverend, I a reverend yeah, for uh, years yeah. I was, yeah. For yeah. 17 years as a pastor. Yeah. And so then, you know, obviously my background as an atheist, the whole creation evolution debate, that was an integral part of, you know, how the Lord uh, worked in in uh, in my salvation, and so I really had to work through those things because that was a huge stumbling block. If you're going to declare yourself an atheist, you have to believe in the story of evolution. Yeah, that's because, the only other option. Yeah, sure. yeah you have yep. to explain how you got here without God. So I was committed to that, and then working through that, I finally get saved. I start reading the scriptures, and then um, eventually I, I I saw this video by this guy named Ken Ham, mm-hmm. and Ken his talk. Um, what was it called? Reclaiming the culture. Yeah. Remember that, that there was a whole conference devoted to that as well. That's right. Yeah. But that one main talk he did, what he calls his relevance talk, it really opened my eyes. Even though I had gone through it, really, like dealing with this whole creation evolution issue, but he talked about how, you know, really the enemy had, and, and, and how culture has used this story of evolution to undermine the entire foundation of the gospel, uh, the, the authority of, of the word of God and all that stuff. And so I started getting all these resources. And of course, you're in the middle of school and I started passing you those things. And I, I don't think you were struggling in your faith or anything or, or anything, but I can remember conversations where you were revealing what, you know, you were being exposed to in seminary. And I remember one time you actually saying something like, yeah, well, some, some professors would just say that we don't even need the Old Testament. You know, we've got, got all the re- re- revelation we need from the New Testament, et cetera. Right. So maybe you can speak to that and just how those, those resources impacted you. Yeah, in context, it's amazing when you're in Bible school and anyone watching would probably relate to this. I kind of liken it to, to jumping on a real fast motorcycle and you're screaming down the highway and everything's coming at you so quickly that you have to sort of on the fly decide what's going to become an issue what am I going to make an issue of here right and then you're three or four years in and you look behind you and there's a bunch of issues (laughs) and now you kind of postgraduate deal with these issues and so um, absolutely true I I remember coming into contact with with Ken Ham and I think you and I would both agree Cal that probably the most impacting teachers and who have inspired me to be this type of teacher are those teachers who who take the pieces and assemble them together and just present them and say, is this consistent? Right. Is this consistent? Mm-hmm. And Ken Ham did that. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, uh, being taught, generally speaking through school, is uh, here's the Genesis narrative. Do what you want with it. Write a decent paper and you'll get a good grade. Right. There, there wasn't really a huge concern, at least in my circle, to be really consistent. Mm. Theologically and methodologically and, you know, geologically and biologically those concepts were never really drilled down into pun intended concerning 
the Genesis story. Well, I, I remember hearing Ken say, for the, you know, the first time I heard it, all Christian doctrines directly or indirectly are founded in the book of Genesis. Well, coming from a non-church background, finally getting saved, starting to read the Bible, and I always joke, where do you think I started? Well, I started in Genesis, and I just, you know, and I actually read, did a one-year Bible study the first year as a Christian, because I wanted to know what the entire Bible said. The whole Bible in a year? I read the whole Good Bible. Yeah, I got one of those ones, you know, you read portion of the Old Testament, portion sure. of the New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, and, and I, yep. and man, it was work. Like, yeah. <laughs> I just want to be honest. I, yeah. I, I, sometimes my reading was just like a chore, but I did it. And from that point onward, anytime I heard a sermon, it was like, oh, I, I know something about that. Like, it's tucked in there. I'm not one of these guys that can whip off Bible verses right. by heart. But I, I'd been exposed to the whole counsel of the Word of God. And when he said that, all Christian doctrines directly, it was like, well, is that true? And then you, the more you look into it, you're like, well, obviously, marriage, clothing, why you need a Savior, why there are bad things in the world. You like, all, of, it, all those yeah, things. exactly. Absolutely. Yep. And so... Um, that's when I really started, that's when it hit me, that, that first talk that I, that I heard from him, and it made me want to dig into these things and made me want to look into that. And then it made me introspect into my upbringing, not being exposed mm-hmm. to, to the Bible, but being exposed to evolution mm-hmm. as fact and where my brain got to because of those concepts. Mm-hmm. And then I was working with youth at the time in a, in a church in Guelph, and I could see I could just so see. He took all, like you said, all these these things and he put them together in a cohesive narrative mm-hmm. and made me go, whoa, what's the big picture of the That's Bible? Right. And there was one particular resource that you had you had loaned me yep. and um, you were real, real excited about this. It was called Why Won't They Listen? Mm. And I remember it had a sheep in the front and a question mark and, yep. and, um, and uh, that really, really kind of put me on my ear, that resource. I just remember as a guy who really had passion to share the gospel, and obviously it's an evangelistic teaching, and what Ken is trying to do, and very, very well, he's trying to express the inconsistency of the origins issue in Life and Witness. And and, right. and I remember, I don't know if it was hearing or reading at that time, I was reading so much it was likely hearing because I was it was a it was kind of like a, a lot easier for me to listen to things at yeah. that point outside of my wheelhouse. but I remember listening to this going, wait wait a second and there was this message that he nudged into the spotlight that I'd never really thought of mm-hmm. concerning the gospel, Acts chapter two, Peter, his audience mm-hmm. and the foundation they had uh, for understanding the message he was sharing. The knowledge they had prior to Peter giving the message of Christ crucified. Exactly right. And so, you know, as, as Jewish people with the foundation of Genesis, they knew about the proto-evangelium and the, the coming Messiah, and they were even waiting for the coming Messiah. They had the pieces of the puzzle on the table, yeah, the they, right pieces. They knew the true God. They, they knew that they had revelation from the true God. They had the scripture. Let's put it that way. Um, they knew there was a coming Messiah, why there was death and suffering, why they even needed a Messiah. They had all that groundwork. All those things. And it yeah. was as though Peter just placed the centerpiece of the puzzle of Christ on the cross. Three-point sermon, pretty simple. Messiah's come, you kill them, repent. Yep. That, that's it. Thousands come to faith. There's revival in Jerusalem. Well, yep. poor Paul. I mean, Paul walks into Mars Hill. Yep. He leads in. Maybe he had Peter's success rate rattling around in his head, but he leads in with the resurrection. If you read the Christ crucified, Christ crucified, and of course he's called a pretty saucy term, a babbler, yeah. which means kind of a hack philosopher, yeah, not a positive babbling. Thing. That's where we get yeah, the term. Yeah, and right? so you know, here's Paul having to recalibrate, and he now starts from the start. Gee, who, who'd figure? And he he has to 
show them the box cover of the puzzle in order for them to understand where the pieces fit because they don't even have right. the right puzzle pieces. He, he, <laughs> he actually starts with the unknown God, as in you don't even have a clue about who God is. Right. So he uses that, you know, this idol he finds. And that's, that's such a framework for, for what he's doing here because you're right. It's like all the puzzle pieces sitting there. But once you look at the box, you say, oh, that's eventually what it's going to look like if I, if I assemble this. They're looking at a box with a blank cover. There's nothing there. Right. And so he has to actually say, look, this is who I'm going to talk to you about, mm -hmm. the true God. Mm -hmm. Well, Peter didn't have to do all that legwork. He didn't have to do all that groundwork. They already had that. Yeah, so, and, it, and it's so interesting. If we actually turn quickly to Acts chapter 17, the, the way Paul starts when he says, um, so he's, he's standing um, in the midst of the Areopagus. I perceive, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Mm. And so we, we, we train folks to, to build common ground in the conversation on image-bearing qualities of all people. Right. See, what we tend to do as, as believers, and I think we just feel this, this, this desire, and it, it's a right desire to, uh, to be an ambassador for Christ who, who defends the, the, the gospel and the Bible amidst the moral and social issues of the culture. And we need to do that. Right. Don't misunderstand me. We need to stand against the atrocity of abortion and all those things. But leading in with those things has, in my experience, been been a little bit um, abrasive and quarrelsome. And I think that's just what we want to do. And we often, in, in our training, Cal, if I get you to put up your hand, we yeah. often present this illustration that if I push, lo and behold, you push. Yeah. It's human instinct. Because when... When I lead in with things that I know you don't agree with, you push back. Right. Whereas if I extend my hand like this, typically yeah. we would just say, Paul, as a very persuasive gospel preacher, Paul has been called by theologians, mm -hmm. the salesman of the gospel. Yeah. He Paul argued persuasively. Very, very persuasive. So <laughs> Paul leads in with things they do have in common. Right. And then he builds the storyline. Read yeah. what he says. I mean, he starts in Genesis yeah. and he builds on those image bearing qualities from the beginning. It's it's not only is it a masterful way to sh to share the good news in in a Greek thinking culture. It very well could be the best way right. uh, to share the good news. Well, in a, in a culture that isn't familiar with all of those things that Peter's Jewish audience was, um, it's the only way in a sense, because how do you make sense of who God is, the need of a savior, who Jesus is? Like none of that's going to make sense to your audience. That's why. When he initially presents that to them, they say, what's this babbler talking about? Babble is, is well, you don't really understand it. It's just chatter. It's, 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 it's unrelatable, right? Yes. So he made the gospel message relatable by saying, look, I'm going to tell you who God is. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. By one man, he created all nations. Mm -hmm. He went right back to Genesis. He establishes this entire foundation. He gets to the end. And of course, the results are some mocked. Some said, we want to hear you again about, on this. Mm -hmm. So at least you're continuing a dialogue. Some are right. going to write you off. But some, well, let's, let's talk about this some more. Some believed. Mm -hmm. And there have been pastors, there have been Bible college professors criticize Paul because of the methodology he used by saying, well, you should have just done what Peter did. They seem to have missed that first part where that's what Paul did the first time. That's right. That's a good point. Right. Because I've heard this presented as an evangelist, as an equipping evangelist, right. as when we, when we just take a, a hard look at Paul's quote unquote results, you're right. We teach that really simply. Some rejected, mm -hmm. some reflected few repented right i mean paul was a pretty decent gospel preacher yeah and uh but what we do, we're not considering in that narrative is the audience 
is very different. The knowledge and the worldview and the truth basis of the, the, the audience is totally different. Absolutely. So what did Jesus teach us? I mean, Paul says, follow my example as I follow Christ's example. It's not, not as though Paul's not following Christ's example. He's intrinsically following how? He's considering his audience. Mm-hmm. And he's framing the unchanging gospel in a way that they can understand that's consistent with their thought patterns and their culture. Well, not only that, let's face facts here. We're not just talking about Paul and what Paul as a human being wanted to do. This is the word of God. This Paul inspired under the Holy Spirit, and this is what's revealed in God's word. That narrative is there for us to reflect on as even modern day Christians. We can look back and say, oh, okay, so yeah, this was written to a certain audience at a certain time in a certain place. But now we can make comparisons to today's culture. And this is what I like to tell, tell my audiences in, here in Canada. You know, think back in Canada 70, 80 years ago. It was much more like a quote-unquote Jewish culture in the sense that most people went to church. Most people had a knowledge of Scripture. They believed, when you said God, they, they knew who you were referring to. Sure. The, the biblical God, the, the Christian God. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, even people who, who weren't Christians went to church and so mm-hmm. on. Well, cut to today. It's much more like Paul's audience, Greek audience, multi-pantheon of gods, many atheists. You, you, you mentioned Jesus' name. It, it's a swear word. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not deity. It's not, it, it, they don't even consider it mm-hmm. blasphemy. And it's very interesting, Cal, because I think a lot of people would perceive, well, there were more Christians in the culture 50 years ago. That may be true. Mm-hmm. But certainly we can all agree that the culture was more moral. Why was the culture more moral? Because when the word of God is opened, and now we're trending toward why we desire people to open scripture in mm-hmm. conversation, but when the word of God is opened, when, when Paul says to Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, yeah. when the word of God is opened and it's spoken, yeah. fear of God is the result. Right. Because now you have this reminder that oh my goodness, someone's watching me. Mm-hmm. That's the omnipresence of God that should be very concerning for people who are not in relationship with him. Well, and that's very important for us to understand this because we tend to think, well, everything's just going south for this variety of reasons. Well, certainly when we stopped opening scripture uh, outside the walls of our churches, things started going downhill very, very yeah. quickly. And, and to feed into that even more, now we've got this, you know, CBC report saying we're going to lose almost 10,000 churches within the next 10 years here in Canada. The mere presence of a building, which is usually the center point or, you know, a main point of, of a town or, or city in, in, uh, in Canada with a cross on top of it, the mere reflection of that message is a third of, of those churches are going to vanish that's from right. public eye. That's amazing. And that's because the public proclamation of, of God's word that was given up as well. So the authority of the word of God, which is what Ken's main message was, has been totally underwritten and and overwritten Mm -hmm. by this story of evolution and Mm -hmm. millions of years, which replaced the Genesis account, which meant many people in the culture just said, well, you can't trust the Bible, Mm -hmm. right? And And if we play that out, I mean, we we think of where we spend most of our time as Christians. Mm -hmm. It's not a church on Sunday. So if we're limiting our discipleship plan to the meeting of the 90-minute meeting or whatever that is. The problem is most people go to a world whereby they're opening the paper and they're they're learning about real things, scientific things, spiritual things, or learning about political things and business things. Things that relate to their life, let's face it. Yeah, just where we live and breathe. And let's be honest, in an academic society, in a Western culture... In a Greek 
culture. In a Greek culture, what is the pathway to fame and fortune? It's education. We all know this. It's not complicated. Yep. And so here we sit now, and what we've basically done, and our friend Joe Boot would say yes and amen to this, is we have we've said, look, we'll just keep this as a spiritual thing. Yeah. But but we will allow the the uh, the secular world to hijack really to rob God of the glory of Jesus Christ in you fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That is to say that he is Lord of all things that are right and true and real, including scientific things, yeah. including geological things. The and biological earthly things, things and the heavenly things Absolutely is what true. Jesus said. If you don't believe about the earthly things, well, that and, and those were key points that you know Ken really pointed out in that initial talk too. Does the Bible speak to geology? Well, of course it does, because if there was a global flood, as described in Genesis six to nine, we'll think of the, the geologic implication of that. Uh, biology, you know, well the Bible's not a science textbook. Well, of course it's not a textbook, but it speaks to that realm as God is the creator of the heavens. You're saying He created things to reproduce according to their kind. So. All those links and and you know all the, the, these concepts in that book. Why won't they listen? I remember hearing Ken speak that message and then getting the book, then reading it, and just the impact it had mm -hmm. on me. And I realized, in essence, how the gospel message has basically been neutered. Mm -hmm. And uh, a practical example, I don't know if you remember, uh, years ago, we would, uh, you were in London, I was in Guelph at the time, and so often we would meet in Woodstock right. halfway, and we'd have coffee and discuss, uh, and discuss whatever. And um, one time, you were a little late, and I'd arrived, and I'm, I was working on an article, uh, some article refuting evolution, and this fellow came in, and he was well-dressed, and he said, is your name Bob, or whatever. He was looking for his client, mm -hmm. and he had never seen them, and so okay. he mistook me for that person. I said no, and he went and got his coffee, came back, real nice guy, and he started chatting, and he said, so what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a youth pastor. And, oh, that's great. You know, he was very positive and, and stuff, and we were chatting, and then all of a sudden, uh, he goes, so what are you working on? And I said, uh, well, I'm, I'm working on an article refuting evolution. Well, what about carbon dating? I mean, his yeah. demeanor changed, his attitude right. changed. He kind of swiveled his face. <laughs> right. He was yeah. such a friendly guy. All of a sudden, it was like, yeah. what happened? You know, and and that's because by merely saying that I didn't believe in evolution, it attacked his worldview. Sure, which is the predominant worldview when you really consider it in the West. Even many Christians would say, "Oh, wow, yeah, God used evolution." That's the foundational structure yeah. of their thinking about where do we come from. Yeah, so. We're always talking about these three eternal questions. You're always talking about these three eternal questions mm -hmm. when, you're, when you're sharing the gospel. Where do we come from? What's the meaning of life? What happens when yeah, you as die? As intimated by Paul in Acts 17. I mean, you and I both use those. They didn't just sort of like, you didn't find them buried in the ground. I mean, we, we believe, and I think you as well, those are intimated in Paul's <laughs> Acts 17 encounter, right? Yeah, well, so. even, even just belief in the scripture, they're gonna answer those yes. questions, correct? Yep. So this was a perfect example of you know, here's a guy, I told him I was working as a youth pastor. Okay, so what, what, what's going on in his mind? Oh, he's a religious person. Oh, yeah, he works with youth. Oh, thumbs up kind of thing. But as soon as, you know, that's not offensive. But as soon as I attack his worldview, which is that superstructure that he's undergirded all his thoughts with, those earthly things, he, he's looking at me like, well, you're, you're some kind of wingnut. You just not know about science. Mm -hmm. And so why won't they listen? It's like, hey, Jesus saves. Right saves whatever like yeah. what's this babbler talking about yeah. and so oftentimes you have to kind of you know reveal to them hey look your, your your whole worldview is sitting on a pile of sinking sand here mm -hmm. 
You can't account for truth. You can't account for knowledge. You can't account for morality. You can't account for anything really on that foundation. But that foundation has swapped out the Genesis account in, mm -hmm. in many people's minds, in many, many churches, in many Bible colleges, in many homes, right? Um, it, it's like, you know, when Ken calls, we need to de-Greekize people. Right? That's right. De-Greekize their mind. Um, that's so, so true because we've got Greek co Bible colleges and seminaries and pastors and... That's right. It's and Ken, Ken's, I mean, kind of the, the flagship verse used for the foundations course is if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Right. And we see that in conversation all the time. Mm -hmm. if, if someone has any experience dismantling the Christian worldview or any worldview, they start from the start. Right. It just makes sense. I mean, you set your trajectory, and if you, if you actually believe the Bible's true, it leads to some very strong conclusions about who Jesus Christ really is. Right. Uh, if you compromise that beginning then it really does totally change. It guts the gospel and makes the cross an absolute fairy tale. Yep. And if there's no first Adam, then there would, would be a second Adam. That's, that's the Bible's description that's right. of Jesus Christ. And so, so yeah, for certain we believe that this why won't they listen that message that was shared uh, years ago, I don't even know when that was first released. I want to say it was at least 20 years ago. I think so, yeah. And now we have a, a in a sense, a, a um, kind of version two. An updated of, version. An yeah. updated version yeah. of the message. And yeah. in this uh, resource that's been a blessing to so many yeah. uh, now, in this time and place, and nothing new under the sun. Not, not to, not to deify Ken Ham, but yeah. I'm sure Ken Ham would say, look, I've just It's a refined version of that it's message. It's a refined it's version. So, so poignant. And, and somewhat modernized you know. in terms of the illustrations. and Absolutely. Yeah. A gospel reset. And what's interesting about the book, of course, is that it's, for all practical, practical purposes, a copy of this book was sent to virtually every pastor or every church uh, in the Western world, mm -hmm. uh, evangelical church. So uh, that was because of a supporter down in the States last year when the book was released, got so excited about it and thought, hey, every pastor should hear this. And I can relate, Cal, because most people don't know, and I share this in, in leadership discussions, that that why won't they listen message so many years ago. Our ministry was founded in 2007, mm -hmm. and it was founded after uh, I personally came under conviction that I had never been equipped by example to share Jesus, and then I was, praise God, right. and then I ended up you know, just knowing in my heart of hearts, I need to, uh, I need to equip other people. And yeah. so 07, uh, the ministry was pioneered, but it was right around that time, a little earlier, that I came into contact with why won't they listen, and Ken's thesis of why won't they listen was so impacting to me personally that it caused me to drill down into the ministry of Paul. And our ministry was founded on Paul's theology, mm. a man of three worlds. Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, yep. know your Bible. Paul was a Greek, uh, he was educated Greek. Uh, so know your false belief systems. Roman, right? And, and he, he lived as a Roman. Yep. Yeah. So yep. as, as a Roman, uh, know your citizenship. Right. But that simple sort of tripod, that philosophical sort of undergirding, it was really motivated by why won't they listen? So right. when this book came out and I got my hands on it, mm -hmm. uh, I realized, okay, this, this is a message that needs to be really multiplied yeah. in and through the local church. And, and that it's so interesting how practical, right, this message is. You, you hear it the first time, it's like, wow. It's like, you know, you really get this uh, revelation of what, what the culture is and how we need to share it. And then, of course, the answers in Genesis as the seven seas of history. 
It's a way to quickly do what Paul did in a sense. You started in Genesis creation, right? Corruption, catastrophe. You're, you're going through these these major bullet points of, of biblical history, including you know the confusion at the Tower of Babel and Christ on the uh, Christ born in the manger, died on the cross, and then a consummation of all things. And you can quickly share the message, the big picture of of, uh, of Scripture, in it within a very very short time, mm-hmm. um, using those seven C's. And I know you use that and have embedded it into your your uh, curriculum as well. Yeah, it's just so interesting as as to how Answers in Genesis obviously is a global ministry doing great things, equipping Christians and churches with these foundational issues, and running sort of parallel. Uh, will ever the two meet? Um, you know, our ministry is using the Answers in Genesis resources, a really Pauline approach to the gospel, and our training draws those conclusions. Our, our training all lands on, after sort of a, a theological discussion and, and, uh, and theological curriculum, it lands on uh, tell the story, teach the gospel, right. take the time. And, and the idea is tell the story, show the puzzle box, use the seven seas of history we prefer. Mm-hmm. Not only are they most comprehensive, but they create the best conversation. Absolutely. That's why. Yep. And so tell the story, show the show the the box cover of the of the puzzle, and then te- uh, teach the gospel. Place the centerpiece through your testimony. How did I come into contact with this risen Christ? How has He changed me? How has He redeemed my thinking? How has He made sense of my human experience? That's yep. very important. Take the time. So take the time could be as long as God chooses it to be, right. and that's Keep when that we get more resources. We want to hear yeah, more about absolutely. these things. Yep. But these yep. ministries are kind of running this way, and there seemed to be a bit of a connection coming. One, one guy said, success is when preparedness and opportunity meet. Right. And so at one point, very recently, these ministries um, really kind of uh, collided, sounds like a negative thing. <laughs> I would say uh, converged. Yeah, converged. That's all converged. Yep. And, yep. Uh, and here we are. And so... I think Absolutely. we've got a, another chapter of the story to tell. For sure. I mean, I love the way, you know, you've always said you can't water an unplanted seed. So you're using those seven seeds to give the big picture. You shoot the gospel in there, right? Because you've got to plant that seed. But surrounding it with the history of the Bible, that's when the apologetic questions are going to come up. And you're answering them in context of the gospel, where I think where a lot of people and a lot of people who are really into the creation issue and all that kind of stuff, they start with, all these apologetic arguments. Let's talk about dinosaurs. Let's talk about carbon dating. Let's talk about this. Let's talk sure. about that. Yeah. But they haven't even planted the seed of the gospel yet. Right. So th- that that's something that's so front and center with what you do. And so, you know, I mean, God's always working, and, uh, and the two of us have been in contact and doing ministry together over the years. And and so finally, answers in Genesis uh, Canada launches. And so we had the opportunity last year to get together and, and you know, you came down with the, the, the Canadian team and we were looking at the Ark Encounter and the and Creation Museum. As Answers in Genesis Canada launch, it's a very short time later, my um, very short time, my, my pastoral sort of season ended. Right. And uh, I was commissioned by my elders into full-time equipping ministry. You're now the director of the ministry and it's just, wow. I mean, let's be honest, the proximity of six <laughs> months is, is is not coincidental. Right. I mean, here we here we are, and so yeah, yeah. I jump uh, in your van and go down to um, to uh, to Kentucky, yeah, uh, to right. uh, to get to know the, the team down there, and yeah. uh, and then there was a special dinner that happened. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of our board members, actually, Perry Patrishko, who was an instrumental um, in in you know me being introduced to the ministry down there, just a just an amazing guy, a Canadian originally, and he, he lived down in the states. But uh, anyway, he decided to put a dinner together for, for the Canadian team and stuff. And uh, Ken and Mally were mm-hmm. invited. 
and they came over and so we were all having uh, a dinner and Ken, <laughs> Ken fired up Facebook and he was doing a, a short video with us yeah. and interviewing and yeah. uh, picking through Perry's uh, culinary delights yeah. there and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, it was a funny video. It's probably still posted. But then you had a chance to, to chat with him and stuff yeah, like that. Re- it was share. really fun to just sit around the table with him. I mean, I, I just love being around visionaries. Mm. And I, I love when people share their passion. Now, to me, the most pleasurable passion is Christian passion, just in terms of the gospel yeah. of the Lord. And, but uh, but just, to, just to see him light up with the next phase of his passion was like, wow, this is, this is pretty special. Mm-hmm. And so... Ken's a pretty straightforward guy. He asked yep. me if I read his book, and um, and uh, I responded, "Yeah, actually, I, I read sort of the first version of this years ago. I was really blessed by it, and I, I share. I actually thanked him mm-hmm. uh, for writing the resource and uh, and how I explained how it impacted uh, not only our ministry but even just my walk with Christ. I mean, that's where it starts. And, yeah. and uh and then um, I just politely said to him, you know, Ken, I really think this this resource needs an activator. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic content, but what would this look like if it, it could if it could multiply ministry, yeah. gospel ministry in and through local churches, and 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 I could tell he was okay. That's a curious thing. He's a very teachable guy. Hey, <laughs> oh, yeah, amazing for a guy operating at that level. How how willing he was just to hear me out. I mean, yep. Who am I? Yep. Just for real. Who am I? Yep. He doesn't even know who I am. And and what 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 do you think? And and I just casually said. I think a curriculum would be helpful. Mm-hmm. What kind of curriculum? A gospel reset evangelism curriculum. Yeah. And he, he just basically said, okay, why don't you write one? Yeah. Maybe I will. And that was sort of February window, I think, if I'm... Yeah, it was around February. Around February. Yeah. And so it wasn't until the summer that I actually could clear my calendar. Right. And August of that year, I guess it was last year, mm-hmm. um, devoted the whole month to developing. Yeah. Now, it wasn't... Very difficult because we've been teaching this content for years. Exactly. Yeah. And and so it was basically sort of reframed in the gospel reset language mm-hmm. and just just a bit of a pilot template. Yeah. Um, videos were recorded, uh, a leader's guide, participant workbook, right. and it was submitted to the U.S. office just yeah. with with prayer and and hope. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So and. Yeah, yep. and and of course, you know, they've got a literally a big ship to run down there. So mm-hmm. yeah. I, I can remember you and I talking. Hey, well, have you heard back? Have you heard back? Sure. And of course, they've got so many different things they're putting together. And because but, we had nothing else to do as well. We, yeah, yeah. Like I wasn't. <laughs> we're just st- uh, sitting on the phone talking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, you know, eventually they got back and said, "Yeah, this is great content." And and then uh, we did a Skype call at one of the meetings that I'd gone down there. You got piped in, and and we were chatting with them and just you know getting some more details and more uh, ideas and honing down. The, the different things and then it was like yeah this is this is going to get done so pretty exciting that next year 2020 uh it's been approved that you're actually going to record the the actual real cut so yeah. to speak because those yeah. were all demo models and and all that stuff and videos that you'd done and we're actually going to record that uh gospel reset evangelism curriculum that's going to be made into a an answers in genesis resource and it, it I don't know. It's just, to me, it's, it's, it's pretty moving because I've, you know, we've been working together for so long and to see that convergence. And to me, the excitement factor of going in, I know how impacting the answers in Genesis ministry is. I mean, in my life, in your life, Mm -hmm. and we get testimonies all the time. Wow. This really opened my eyes and and equipped me and allowed me to embolden me in, in, in gospel, uh, you know, training and equipping my kids. We hear all these testimonies. 
But now knowing, okay, so people that have got the apologetic side are now going to get this practical, you know, equipping course to actually open their mouth and share the gospel. Mm -hmm. Because since the time when we even looked at that book, um, you know, why won't they listen? Think of the cultural change that's happened even in the last 15 years. That's right. But, you know, I would say that the majority, and perhaps you can speak to this as well, I would say that many Christians are not sharing the faith. The majority are not sharing the faith sure. in Canada and probably around the world because they fear the cultural issue attack, right? They don't want to be perceived as a mean-spirited person who's bigoted, who might not be going with the cultural trends and, you know, all sorts of I different areas. The banner that hangs over most fear is rejection. Well, in yeah. various shapes and forms. We don't want to be rejected for whatever reason. Right. You know, by family, by friends, by neighbors and coworkers. Yeah. And, and, and the cultural issues are getting, like, absolutely. pushed front and center. Totally. So you don't want to appear as a negative, you know, person or biased or bigoted or whatever. And if you defend, let's say, traditional marriage, or you defend, you know, traditional gender roles, or you defend the sanctity of life, or you defend any of these, these issues, mm -hmm. the only place to defend it is to quote Genesis. That's right. Right? So Genesis 127, God created male and female and the two shall become one flesh. So you've got all these doctrines, which is exactly what Canon explained that first time I heard that message, mm -hmm. all of these doctrines. Well, as soon as you say, yeah, I believe, I believe the Bible, I stand on Genesis as plainly written. Oh, well, really? What about the ape man? And what about sure. carbon dating? And, what? And, and so it's just, that's, that's still the superstructure that all this stuff has been built on. Mm -hmm. And why won't they listen? Yeah. So now the practicality of saying, okay, you're going to go share the gospel, yeah. but you're going to have answers for when they ask you those questions. Because yeah. as you go through the seven C's, guess what's going to come up? Yeah. I explained dinosaurs that, Cal, and all I almost envision as though people have been training for war. I mean, I, 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 uh, I have a friend uh, who, um, whose whole professional life had been military. Right. And... Um, and if you think what my, I come from military background, right. my, myself personally, my dad mm -hmm. flew CF-100s in the Canadian military. And generally what happens in the military is uh, is you simulate war. That's kind of what you're doing. You're constantly right. just practicing. War gaming, war gaming. Yeah, yeah. war gaming and, and you're strategizing. And and uh, this particular friend, uh, his whole working life had been military. And the call finally came. And I mean, who wants to go to war? But the call finally came and uh, and he fought tooth and nail to not go to war. And so he asked me my opinion on that. What's your opinion? I said, well, I know you don't want to go to war, but you kind of, you've kind of signed up to go to war. You, you, your aim is to please the ones who enlisted you, and that's right from Scripture, the language of that. Mm -hmm. And I think what we have happening is a lot of people have been training, and really anyone who's a follower of Christ has been training for war. Right. In Sunday morning sermons and small groups and those things. But those of the, you know, of the sort of students of the Answer in Genesis ministry have been really training. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got people who have been getting very strong in their own, uh, in their own uh, faith, right. in their own commitments, in their families. And that's all very good. Yep. That's where it starts. I mean, when Jesus says, build your house on the rock, build your house, yep. we've got to start there. And then when we call the other people to do the same thing, our house is wisely built, it stands strong, there's, but you've got to build yours first. So the analogy is like, there's a lot of benefits actually of being a military like being 100%. in the military, right? I mean, Absolutely. You, you get training, you get equipping, you get a, a decent paycheck. Sure. You know, whatever. And, and uh, you're taken care of and all this stuff. So, And it's right to do. And it's right to do. And, and so in essence, I think you, to extend your analogy, it's like, well, now you've got all the benefits here, but now you're called to war. You've got the equipping. 
I mean, who who are we going to send? Somebody with no equipment? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. who are you going to call? <laughs> right? Right. Um, so wouldn't you send the people that do have the equipping and the training to the front line first? Well, now we've got this evangelism curriculum. I mean, I think people are going to get so excited and, so and start using now, that. If, if we can... If we can take all those strong soldiers—I mean, strong in terms of they've been practicing and they've been they've been they've been uh, eating well and training well—what if we could train up a, a an army of brave hearts in their own churches and their own families and release them mm-hmm. into their churches, families, and then the culture yeah. with a with a solid foundation, of course, but with an ability to have biblical conversations with Bibles open yeah. and to uh, and to yes. Certainly, certainly address the social issues, but to be able to, in a sense, follow Paul's example of, you know, being winsome, the Bible says the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting with gentleness, all those things, in hope that God grants repentance. This idea that we can equip folks to go and to have those conversations with the resources and the training all fully into, I mean, what can we expect to happen? That's pretty exciting stuff. That's right. That's how ministry multiplies. Absolutely. I really think the Lord's going to bless it because it's been a, it's been a in, a, in a sense, a long time coming. And the Lord's been working through you and your ministry and I know through myself. And, and I jokingly say I'm kind of a one-hit wonder. And people say, wow, we're really impressed with the way you share the gospel or the way you train. <laughs> Don't be too impressed. I've been singing this song a long time. I yeah. know it in my sleep. Right. Uh, but what will happen when we actually now have a team of people who can take a little one-hit wonder, and now I can just become part of that team mm. and help to use all the talent, all the resources, all the gifting, all the passion, and start to march an army forward. I'd say the devil's uh, in, in, in a real real bad place. In a tizzy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Well, brother, it's always great to talk to you. And uh, I know people are going to be starting to, to say, well, when's it going to come out? And when can I get a hold of it? And yeah. I really don't have the answers to all those <laughs> questions. So, yeah. but anyway, I did want to get together with you in, in an essence, you know, let people know what's coming. Um, the newsletter I just wrote for uh, Answers and Genesis supporters was look at what the Lord mm-hmm. has done. And it was kind of given a recap of, you know, the events that have gone on and the different things. We've got a new, brand new speaker here in Canada, Patricia Angler. And mm-hmm. so I also wanted to get together and do this to just let people know this is part of what the Lord did even in the last two Amen. years. And, uh, and we we'll look forward to 2020. So. so we praise God and we just invite people to pray. Absolutely. To pray for all these things. So Blessings, brother. Yeah. Okay, awesome. we'll talk again. Thank you.